0: Recording? Yeah, recording. This is Mom's Basement Podcast, episode 63, where we ramble for an hour and a half about our own games, because that's what everyone wants wants to hear after we've been gone for months, is us pimp our own shit yet again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, where, where we answer the most important question ever. What are those vultures doing behind that baby?
0: Um, Probably waiting for it to die so they can eat it.
1: Yep. Okay, as you can tell, that uh, question seemed a bit off-topic until so you look at the cover photo for their Kickstarter project! Yeah, it
0: finally happened. We finally... Rudy and I finally, I'm not going to say got up off our asses, because it actually involved more sitting down on our asses, but we finally got our shit together and put up our Misery Tourism Games Kickstarter. We are trying to publish a collection of our terrible games about terrible people in terrible situations called the Misery Index. It's going to be eight of our games, eight of the games that we published over the last year and a half or so on the Miserytourism.com website. And it's the best eight out of the 10 that we put up there or the most finished eight out of the 10 that we put up there.
1: Uh, that's a better answer. Mm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the ones that are actually kind of done. <laughs> oh, so, what we were going to do is have Alex Swingle sit down and ask us questions about our games and do, like, a faux interview. Uh, but then Alex reminded us that...
1: I, I already did that about two years ago, maybe even three on episode 35. Actually, right. wait a minute. That wasn't me. That was James Lipton, so... Oh, right.
2: Well, James Lipton really gave us some grilling. Yeah, he did.
1: I mean, asking about, you know growing rainbows and shit like that yeah
0: and then i said well alex you could always do it again and then you said
1: fuck that shit
0: yeah exactly so we're going to try to have an organic conversation about our games because <laughs> everyone knows that mom's basement podcast is the place to go if you want to hear an organic conversation between three people who are totally comfortable with each other.
1: It, it also helps to say you're having an organic conversation by forcing an organic conversation.
0: Right, right. By saying, we're going to sit the fuck down and have an organic conversation. Hey! Hey, come on, let's start talking.
2: Works every time. Yep. I just scared my cat.
1: Mr. Boots!
2: He said I would prefer a synthetic conversation to an organic.
1: Yeah. There's
0: not much to be said for organic things.
2: So anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know what though, no matter how bad this conversation turns out, it will never be worse than our Kickstarter video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I saw it and I said like, what the fuck are you guys doing with your Kickstarter video? <laughs>
0: You know what, Alex? That was the most grueling, awful experience of my brief time making role-playing games. (laughs) Rudy and I spent like three or four days working on that awful video. Half the time we sat around saying, well, why don't we do this? Or why don't we do that? And then we'd pick the camera up and we'd try to do what we just said and find out that we didn't have the video design skills to pull it off neither of us were great editors or choreographers mm-hmm. or uh, you know there wasn't a jerry brockheimer among us so it was one disastrous experiment after another and then we'd sit down and we'd propose something else and rudy would be like well wait wait why don't we go we'll go to the street we'll find some roadkill and we'll, we'll film the roadkill and then we'll just narrate over the the stagnant the static video of the roadkill. And I was like, man, I don't really want to go out and find some roadkill. So, but what we ended up with was pretty much roadkill anyway, so maybe we should have done that.
1: I, I particularly enjoyed when you guys uh, didn't even look at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: What were you going to say, Rudy? Uh, nothing. No, nothing. I just said that would have been a lot better for the roadkill.
0: Yeah. So after three or four days of hemming and hawing and knowing that we were facing a deadline because it was only a few days before I had to go back to New Hampshire and Rudy was shipping out for California, um, you know, that made an already awful process even worse. So eventually we just said, you know what? We don't want to do one of those stupid talking head videos, but let's just do one of those stupid talking head videos. Let's just sit down and do a fucking talking head video. And we did a number of takes of that, and that take that you saw was the best of those. (laughs) That unruly seven minutes of footage was the best seven minutes out of probably six or seven hours of footage. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, it was pretty sad overall.
0: But, you know, leave it to Mom's Basement Podcast to emphasize the worst part of the process. Actually, I'm pretty happy with how everything else turned out. I'm really happy with the games. I mean, obviously, we're happy with the games, where so we wouldn't be putting them up there. I'm happy with the way the project itself turned out. Uh, you know, the, the actual written, the bulk of the text there that we put up for the Kickstarter page. I'm happy we got John Walton aboard to do layout for us. I'm happy, uh, just happy how everything has come together thus far, except for the video. Yeah. The video is kind of awful. And I hope people don't look at the video and think, oh, well, that's the level of quality that we should expect from the book.
1: No, it's worse than that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it really is an entirely different skill set. And we have put well over a year into these games already. So it's not like we just had, like, this was some improv improvised thing that we did some weekend. We sat down, hey, why don't we throw together a bunch of games and record an unruly video and stick it up and see if we can get some money. This really is the end result of a lot of work on our part. And I hope the rest of the project reflects that.
1: Well, the, the thing is, just from the uh, book idea you were telling me about here, at least you told it for everyone else there about the spiral you notebook. Know, and is it laminated or just like heavy stock?
0: Okay. So the book is going to be spiral bound. And actually, in a minute here, we should back it up and actually maybe talk a little bit of the, about the concept.
1: for anyone That wouldn't be organic.
0: That's true. That's true. And I guess how many people are tuning in who have ne- never heard about it before, but still, we'll. Okay. Anyway, the book itself. Um, if you want to talk about the stock, we we haven't 100% decided on it. The layout quote we got was for heavy coated stock for the paper for the you know the internal pages. So we want thick coated pages. We're not. It's not going to be like full laminate or anything, uh, because I don't think that would be. I don't think that would be cost-effective or a very easy book to to actually
1: use as a book. It'd be be like a big book to like you know beat people with, and that's like yeah. you know that's <laughs> half the fun of mystery tourism. Ain't gonna lie. Right. <laughs> no, we want we want a thick, durable book with pages that you can
0: actually use in play, but we don't want the thing to be unruly to read as a result. So we're trying to find the right balance there but anyway conceptually speaking okay the concept as you said way back when we put together a website called misery tourism games miserytourism.com and it was a, and since then we've been adding a whole bunch of games about basically human misery and suffering
1: <laughs> it really runs
0: a gamut of all different kinds of Awful things that can happen to human beings. And from different tones, using different genres, you know, fantasy, science fiction, cyberpunk, gothic horror, uh, whose line is it anyway, style, improv, comedy. We've got a whole bunch of different approaches to the subject matter out there. So, anyway, but you wanted an organic conversation, a truly unprofessional experience. <laughs> For uh, the least professional podcast on internet.
1: On internet. Yes.
2: On internet.
0: So. I don't know. I mean, I'm wondering what will be valuable for people to listen to. You know? There's an hour of pimping our games.
1: It doesn't have to be a full hour.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Alex Wingle trying to bail already on this. I don't know, Rudy. What are some of the takeaways that you've got from
2: the experience so far? I don't know. I think basically you should just try to make really fun games that uh, you can play with some of your degenerate friends. (laughs) <laughs> have a good time with it.
0: You mean as a designer? That's your advice to all those young designers out there?
2: Yeah, pretty much. You know, if you don't have any degenerate friends, then you should get some.
0: Yeah. Life is really, really tough without people who are, are as perverse and depraved as you are. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Really, when looking for friends, your own depravity should be the ceiling. Like <laughs> the level of your own depravity, that should be the ceiling. You should say, well, I really can't hang out with anyone less depraved than I am because they won't have me around. Or if they do, it will be an uncomfortable situation. <laughs> so let us right. find people who are as depraved as I am or more depraved. And <laughs> let's play some misery tourism games with them. <laughs> this collection is perfect to play with your depraved friends.
1: All right, I want to ask you a question. This one, this time, okay. I'll get okay. semi-serious face. Wh- which one do you uh, look forward to playing with uh, most when you uh, actually get the book, uh, you know, all stitched up and shit?
0: Which game do I look forward to playing the most?
1: Yeah, like you know, in the current in the presentations you have envisioned. When oh. people open up the book.
2: Oh, that's an interesting question, right? Uh,
1: because, okay. now,
2: yeah, do you mean playing with other people, like uh, you know, our backers, or what?
1: Playing. I,
2: I,
0: I think what oh. Alex is asking is, which game do we most look forward to playing out of the book?
2: Oh, okay.
0: Which is really interesting because the book is going to highlight different games in different ways. I mean, the obvious choice is the oldest, cruelest sword, because that is going to have game boards printed on the big pages in the book, so that you can play it directly out of the book. Right. And that will be cool. And that will be cooler than using, you know, some... And that's also a place where having uh, John Walton's awesome layout design will come in handy, because it will actually be nice-looking boards, something that looks like a sorceress's tower as opposed to looks like something Rudy made in paint on his computer and printed out in, you know, grayscale. Right.
1: So that uh, I, I would look definitely
0: look forward to playing out of the book.
1: Oh, I, I have to wonder about this one myself here. Freaking you know, he's doing the layout, Mr. Walton there. Um white What was his initial reaction to, you know, like, actually being asked for this?
0: Well, you know, he had approached us before. He sent – when we launched the Misery Tourism website, he sent Rudy a message on Story Games, like, hey, guys, this is really cool, and he wanted to um, offer us one of his games to put up on the website. He was like, hey, guys, I really dig what you're doing. I've got this game. And then Rudy proceeded to snub him for six months (laughs) because he never found found and read the message because he never goes on story games and never checks his uh, private messages. So then when the time came to do the layout, we knew that John Walton was a kind of layout guru, and we also knew that he had said nice things about our games in the past. So we went. So I shot him an email, and he got right back to us, and he says, yeah, I'd love to do it. This is a great idea. And he's been pretty intimately involved in the project since, which is awesome because as enthusiastic as Rudy and I are about the quality of the games, as enthusiastic as we are about, like, the design process, we know fuck all about book design, you know? Right. I have some editorial experience, but no experience with layout, no experience with, um, you know, shopping around with different printers, no experience in in any of the stuff that would get this thing physically made and make this thing look physically good. And we knew that going into the project, that that was going to be a weakness. So we wanted to find someone who had a lot of experience in that area. So I'm really glad that Jonathan was as into it as he was and has continued to be as much help as he has been. But Rudy, you didn't answer the question. Which game are you most looking forward to
2: playing out of the book or with the book? See, I don't know. That's a good question. I, uh, I would like to play Tops out of the book just because um, you know, the layout, as you said, is going to look really cool but um i don't know another one that comes to mind
0: for me is six page manual cuz one of the six page manual has these huge charts with like 100 these huge random generation charts with like right. 100 entries per chart and up right. up to now i've been playing that off of like a pdf a modified word document pdf thing and each chart is like four or five pages long. And I'll. it will be great to see all of that printed on a single big fucking page and to be able to navigate it easily and to have that tactile experience that I was going for when I designed the game of, you know, um, those big charts they used, well, I assume they still have in the back of the Dungeon Master Guide for generating treasure at random. Right. I want it to feel like that. I want it to have that addictive, almost gambling type experience when you're rolling up a new punishment for your character, or rolling up a new concept for your character. Right. And I don't know that you you get that to the same degree when you've got kind of a muddy, you know, plain text PDF in front of you that stretches the chart over multiple pages.
2: Yeah, definitely six-page manual is going to be one to watch for the book. Because if we can get the big 11 by 11... You know, pages. that would be real cool to have all the charts. You know, one chart per page type of thing.
1: Right. That actually would be pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know, Alex. As long as we're speaking organically, what are your thoughts on the matter? Uh, You're the outsider looking in here.
1: It's. It's. I. I if I'm. If I remember correctly, on the premise. It's several games about miserable people in miserable situations. And, um, yeah, that's my thoughts on it.
0: Terrible games about terrible people in terrible situations. That was our original um, pitch for the website.
1: Yes, it sounds a lot better.
0: We've shortened it for the book because I didn't want to stick all that in the title of the Kickstarter. Although
1: that would be fun.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Just <laughs> terrible games about terrible realities. And I, I, I wanted to use the realities word because I think it's uh, it has multiple meanings and all of them are relevant. You know, terrible realities as in the terrible realities of life, you know, like death and genocide and racism and yada yada, you know, all these terrible realities that people confront in the real world. But I, I think also the idea of terrible realities in the speculative fiction sense, like right. terrible worlds, different terrible settings, different terrible parallel realities, you know? And the terrible thing is interesting, too, because I, I saw someone, um, we well, I don't know, when, when I was propagating the link, when I was throwing the link out on every website I could find, some um, dude on Reddit was like, well, oh, why do you call your, like, pro tips? You shouldn't refer to your games as terrible. But I think that's huh. appropriate in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true that our games aren't terrible in the sense of, you know, when you say, oh, that's a terrible meaning low quality. You know, these are high quality games. But there are a couple of other meanings of terrible. You know, you can say terrible like, boy, that pile of dog shit sure smells terrible. And I think that's appropriate in a certain sense because you get this knee-jerk, visceral reaction, like, oh, that's terrible. And uh, there's another kind of terrible, though, like terrible like the Old Testament god is terrible. (laughs) You know, and that's also appropriate.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with, like, terrible uh, game design or, you know, terrible uh, experience playing it. It just means the situation is terrible.
0: I wanted to play off that knee-jerk reaction that I expected some people would have about the games,
1: which is, oh, that's
0: terrible.
1: So did you, like, respond to him and say, yes, feed me? I, I bask in the, in, in the, in, in the glory of your, of your hate.
0: Well, I did want it to be kind of a self-deprecating thing, too, but I, I didn't know, I didn't respond to him because I didn't, really, I didn't really see the point in saying what I just said now, you know? I think the guy had already kind of made up his mind that he was going to give some snide advice, and that was going to be the end of it. Well, yeah. If it was part of a larger point or something, I probably would have responded to him. But Well, I don't know. I don't know, Rudy. How do you feel about the experience of this thing so far? Or did
2: I ask that already? Um, well, you kind of asked that, but I think uh, it's been a pretty good experience. It's definitely been a lot more successful than I thought it would be initially. Yeah, I, I didn't think we would get this much like support and interest in the first like twenty four hours that we had. Yeah. I mean we're already at what five hundred and seventy five dollars.
0: Yeah, we're at twenty four hours in, we're at five hundred and seventy five dollars on a three thousand dollar goal. We're at about twenty percent funded. So we're right. one fifth of the way there. Right.
2: Yeah,
0: I'm very optimistic about our chances of actually reaching our funding goal. Uh, I think as long as it doesn't taper off dramatically, Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a few, like, possible scenarios in mind for how this could go, right? I mean, there's, like, the dramatic failure scenario where you put it up there and, like, you know, three dudes back it because you know them personally – and that's the end of it. You make, you know, 50 bucks or something. And yeah. thankfully, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Right. The other scary scenario, though, and in some ways this is even more scary, is the scenario where you get really close to the funding goal but don't quite make it. Or where you spend all 30 days worry about, worrying about whether you're going to limp across the finish line. Right, right. That's, a little, that's what I'm scared of right now is that it will be one of those things where you, you make a few bucks each day, and three and a half weeks from now, we're at $2,500, you know, right. and we're wondering if we're going to make the last $5,000, or excuse me, the last $500 in time to have the project funded. Right. I mean, as I said though, if we keep up something resembling the pace that we've had in the first 24 hours, or if we build on that even slightly, I don't think we have any have to worry about that. The big question in my mind right now, well, the two big questions, right? One, are we going to get funded or are we going to fall just a little short of that? Because I don't think we're going to fall well short of that. But are we going to are we going to be able to make it across the finish line? And the other question in my mind is if we do make it across the finish line, how dramatically are we going to make it? You know, are we going to are we going to are we going to like lap competition or are we just going to squeak by? You know, are we, gonna, are we going to pull in $3,001? <laughs> right. But yeah, there's nothing to complain about so far. And this being, you know, my first Kickstarter project, I had no idea what to expect, you know, because you know those few people who are going to back you definitely, mm-hmm. but you don't know much beyond that. Like how much of the, you know, these different communities that maybe you post a link in, or these different communities that maybe you've been active in, how many of them are going to, how many people from those communities are going to support you? Is it going right. to be no one? Is it going to be a few people? And I think that's still an open question. And, I don't know, you don't really know, there's the visible support, which seemed pretty meager, and then there's the invisible support. And you really don't know
2: where the invisible support is going to come from. Yeah, see, that's the real thing. Is people just seem to come out of the woodwork.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like a lot of these people, uh, we don't personally know or we've never heard of. Really, come out so far. Now, obviously, we've had our, you know, our, our dudes, our niggas come out.
0: Speaking of speaking of which, we just got a new backer. Okay. Speaking, speaking of which, longtime friend of the podcast, Tom <laughs>
1: Chirino, just yeah. packed for $35. Oh,
2: so, yeah, nice.
1: Oh, uh, by the way, did you wish him a happy birthday?
2: Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't know it was his birthday. <laughs> well, he just wished us one. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: So that just took us over $600. It's starting to sound like a telethon here, but that just took us over $600 hundred dollars and also just took us over twenty
1: percent. Right. It's kind of a big deal, I ain't gonna lie. Yeah? You think so, Swindle? It it is kind of a big deal. No, uh, like I said, I am happy for you guys that even anyone is like even trying to uh, to to give a hint that they uh wanted to back you.
0: Right. Sorry Rudy, I kind of cut in. Were you saying anything? You were I <laughs> think you were saying something and I uh, I don't know if I interrupted you. No. Uh,
1: yep. That's the podcast. Good night, everybody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Alex. I think one thing that's tricky is taking your enthusiasm about something and making other people enthusiastic about it. Because a lot of times, you know, someone will come to you and they'll be, like, breathless with enthusiasm. And they'll be trying to explain what it is that's so awesome. And you'll be sitting there and saying, Oh, okay. Yeah, that happened to me yesterday. Whatever.
1: Cool story, bro.
0: Exactly. And I guess I'm, I've been very worried that these games would be a cool story, bro, situation. I mean, I'm fucking in love with these games, and and not uh, not out of egotism or anything. It's just that like you know, you, kid draws a picture and they do something, you know, and they draw something that they never even realized existed before, and they want to show Mommy and Daddy, and they want the world to see, look, I just drew this picture, you know, I just did this thing that I didn't know I could do, this thing that I thought was impossible. And so you have all that enthusiasm, but you really don't know if other people get, are going to get where you're coming from, you know. If other people are going to, Think that this space that we're operating in, this kind of weird space that we're be, that we're operating in, is going to be something that they can embrace, something that gets them excited, something that they they will be interested in as well. Mm. Especially since we would, you know, when we posted our games initially, the response was always kind of like tepid. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of people I think might have some trouble getting their head around. Or even maybe it's not their head that they need to get around it, but getting like their gut around it, you know, <laughs> getting their, you know, being making the game something they can digest and want to digest because of the content,
2: right? Hmm. Hey,
0: Rudy, I just got a message from someone on Kickstarter, and I want you to maybe you can answer this on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Steve Ellis says, and he, he did back the games. He says. Hi, this looks like an intriguing set of games, with great potential to be either powerfully memorable or horribly offensive. Reading through some of the alpha versions of the PDFs, I can see great potential in passing are the needs of the few to be tense, exciting, relevatory games. However, with the oldest, cruelest sword, what's the <laughs> thinking with the thief suddenly turning into a rapist if he encounters a sorceress? Is it some allegory on sexual violence being a product of opportunity? It just seems a little out of the blue, so I'm not sure how the action follows the fiction.
2: What do you say to that, Rudy, since it was your design? Well, I think it's definitely an allegory on on that. (laughs) Well, as he said, but but really, this kind of just came out of the blue um, from something I read about, well, sexual violence. It was something I was reading on. I think it was a, um, a criminology or, you know, a criminal justice, like, education type site. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was basically a classification of the types of different rapists. And there was one rapist called the opportunity rapist, uh, or the gentleman rapist. And, uh, I just thought immediately that that scenario, that kind of, uh, that kind of, like, spur of the moment, like, you know, this guy's committing another crime and he decides to you know, also commit a rape, I just thought that that really fit, it, well, I don't know that I thought that it really fit, but it seemed to me that, um, that it went really well with the scenario that happens a lot of times in... Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, typical high fantasy stuff where somebody goes into, you know, somebody's basically residence, you know, and tries to rob them or tries to, you know, do some other harm to them. I just thought, you know, why not combine those two things? Right, right. Uh, Why not, you know, what, basically, like, why hasn't that scenario been... You know, hasn't why hasn't that happened before? You know, or has it happened before? Right, right. During one of these, so you know, almost a speculative fiction kind of thing. Right, you're right. Yeah. In fact, that's, that's a good point. I, I originally I envisioned it as a story, this game, but uh, I turned it into a game because I thought that the um, that the situation really went well for the type of tense emotions, you know that often, that you have for, like, board games and that kind of stuff, A kind of rivalry, tense rivalry. Right, and that's a good point, right? This is a very
0: tense game to play. You have a build-up of a lot because the game is about, almost like Battleship, in the sense that you have two people who who are operating with hidden information, you know? Right. who, Who are distant, who may be The players may be in the same physical space, but the characters don't know where each other are, and there's a lot of hidden information there. Right. And because there's this buildup of this tension and aggression, because the two characters are basically needling each other from a distance. You know, they're making various moves against each other that are hindering the ability of the other player to, to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish but they never see each other and they never come into contact with each other and then exactly. when they do there's this dramatic release of the aggression right which is which is where the rape potentially comes into play or the torture scene if it ends up
2: the other way or that yeah but i mean i guess basically this isn't really a game that's trying to say anything about rape mm. it's really a game that's um that's trying to create the feeling of a rape, I guess it's not so much trying to say any make any statement about rape or that kind of or sexual violence or whatever well, I saw it kind of as a deconstruction
0: of like the psychology of a rapist, yeah, yeah, you could
2: see it like that I mean like I thought. Oh, I lost my train of thought there.
0: I mean, I, I guess I saw it as, if anything, like a critique of the kind of chivalry that you have, the kind of chivalry that's portrayed in fantasy fiction.
2: Right. And you're right on that, but... Um Yeah, I mean, I I guess, I guess I see what you're saying. I mean, like basically the idea of the, uh, of you know, like hero, like heroizing like burglary or crime, basically. (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah, the idea that all of these different antisocial behaviors are heroic. Right. And the way, and also the way that. The way that those games kind of depict women as well as being like some, as being something to be saved, or in this case, like an evil sorceress in her tower, isolated from, from the world, and then, yeah, and then then the guy comes in, and enters the situation, and takes something valuable from her and leaves, and I, I think normally we don't necessarily really question that right (laughs) like it's such a well-worn story structure right it's such a well-worn like narrative
2: archetype that we don't really think about what that is right and i think you really hit it on the head there um but at the same time when i was making this game really i was going for I guess what what was more on my mind was the feeling, mm. you know, and that's why the mechanics have that feeling of tension and the, uh, you know, as you said, hidden information, secret information, that type of thing. That was what was on my mind primarily when I was designing the game. I mean, all that other stuff was also. Right. But the thing I guess I want people to get out of this game is that feeling, you know, not necessarily any statement about, you know, Ready for sexual violence or whatever. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that, I guess we've sort of answered the guy's concerns and questions, I think, but. Yeah, I think so.
1: I feel
0: like. I also feel like. That. Tots. Works really well as a companion piece to your other game, The Needs of the Few. I feel like The Needs of the Few is about... I mean, both of them are about the psychology of rape, the psychology of sexual violence. And Needs of the Few is about the lingering psychological effects that sexual violence, that rape or other forms of sexual abuse have on the victims or the survivors. And then Tox is about like, the work psychological perspective of the rapist. And right. you didn't really mention the sword when you were going through your description there, but really the sword is integral to understanding how, how and why the game makes the transition from burglary to rape. I mean, the sword is right. a pretty, like, you couldn't have a more blatant phallic metaphor than that. Okay. And the whole time the sword is trying to psychologically manipulate the thief. Right. So you see that sense, you have the sense of a person who is operating in a pr- very particular kind of warped state of mind and trying to recreate that state of mind in the game.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd say that's that's a pretty good description of it. Well, I'll probably
0: post a- a response to his comment as well and the so, so we answered that. Our instant mailbag question. <laughs> but no one has asked us any other questions while well, that was ongoing, so
1: Yeah, that will be strange if that was like the only way we were able to do a mailbag episode.
2: Yeah, it will be. Since we've been asking for it for like <laughs>
0: You know, what I was saying when we, uh, I was saying that uh, needs of the few and uh, and talks were basically a, worked as a pair. You can actually find a lot of pairs of games in this collection. When I think That's about true. it, because if you take your other two games, mentors and student zombie, they're a pair of games that offer different perspectives, unlike. Fantasies teenagers have about violence and on the education system,
2: right? Or take say uh, passing and uh, welfare. Queen.
0: Passing and welfare queens is another one, right? Because both both deal with issues of race and class. Hmm. And end of um, the um, you could say the scapegoats that we create. Or the way that we channel our ideas about race and class and make them almost supernatural. (laughs) Yeah. And create these kind of weird proxies for race and class. Right. And then the two remaining games, Six Page Manual and Dance Macabre, are both inspired or in some ways both draw from like the European tradition, like Jeep Foreman and shit. Right. Because Dance Macabre is a Jeep form, and uh, Six Page Manual is designed to be a kind of fun parody of Jeep form and Norwegian style and other, like, European LARPy games. Right. And you also probably have a, a dichotomy there, like, one game comes the closest to being, I think, a celebration of life of any game in our collection. And the other (laughs) game is is the most directly about death of any game in our collection. That's true. There are some cool parallels there. Parallel games happening. Swingle, you have been very quiet.
1: Indeed I have.
2: Actually, you've been talking a lot on the... uh on the chat, you know, on the. Uh, oh yeah, I see.
0: <laughs> Alex, if you spoke as much into the microphone as you do into the chat box, where no one can see or hear it.
1: Well, the uh, the the idea behind that is to um, yeah, say comments that would not really help and uh make you guys laugh and be distracted. That's kind of the the goal there.
0: Ah, oh, I see.
1: Cuz like when you said it wasn't out of ego or anything, you know, you just wanted to show it to everybody. Then the two comments, Rudy. Yeah. Same.
2: You say it if you
1: I know, you- fine. Basically, I wrote it's totally out of ego, and then followed by I gave an example. Look, I shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you guys were talking about the battle of back and forth in terms of moving pieces around to try and um, you know get uh, you know have the rape happen or have it not happen, and then that was and then my response was so they are just putting the tip in. <laughs> mm. that's what i'm saying they're totally appropriate for what kind of uh talk we're having
2: oh, definitely
1: so
0: you know i'm trying to think of things i've just been mostly rambling here yep yeah i've been rambling a lot too mm-hmm. but I mean, I think that whenever you're talking about something that you're kind of enthusiastic about, like you're bound to ramble, and you're bound to think, oh, man, everyone else must think this is as amazing as I do, or as, or must be as, uh, you know, obsessed with this as I am. Or these little nuances that I picked up on, they must want to know that.
1: Well, if you need me to, I'll bring you down.
0: <laughs> That's what you're good at,
2: Alex. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought you moved away from the ghetto Well,
0: I moved into a different ghetto
1: <laughs> <laughs> Okay Because <laughs> I remember those Epic 4th of July fireworks That was pretty it's,
0: nice still, still pro- Actually I haven't heard any fireworks Since moving here
1: yeah. Which is surprising <laughs> But I've only been here a few days. Yeah, the the, the month is
0: still young. That's true. And speaking of the month still being young, when we're recording this, there's still 28 days to go. Yep. So and, it's when it's released,
1: and when we release this, it'll probably be like seven days to go, because I can't be <laughs> <keep it>
2: fucked.
1: <laughs> yeah, we just finished
0: our first 24 hours. Cool.
2: Hmm. Yep. 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 Oh.
1: <sighs> I think Lovecraft Bundle. I gotta check that out. What's this? Oh, it's uh, damn.
0: Oh. How much time do we have on the clock for the actual episode?
1: Uh, we're probably at like four, 40 minutes.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: we'll put in a Good. little more there. So, hmm. No, if you beat the average of 253, you get Call of Cthulhu, The Wasted Land, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, The Awakened, And uh, some other books. And oh, Cthulhu Saves the Worlds. So if you haven't done those yet, uh, I highly recommend you siphon some of your funds over to that.
0: (laughs) Are we going to cut that part out? Where you... (laughs) The the call of Cthulhu...
1: You can get Bioshock 1 and 2 for $5. So that's nice. Yeah, Alex. Ooh, Tom Clancy collection. I gotta see about that one.
0: Okay, let's. Great. We're gonna
1: have to cut out. I'm I'm just fighting things that I think would be more interesting to talk about right now. Oh, for wow, are you serious? For six twenty-five, you get. Rainbow Six Vegas, Advanced Warfire, Hog, and War, my god. That's a pretty good deal. What? (laughs)
2: Swingle.
0: Swingle! So, Rudy, what has been your biggest surprise about this process
2: so far? Um, well, like I said before, uh, my biggest surprise is probably the support we got in the first 24 hours we got through Kickstarter.
0: <laughs> Your biggest surprise is that we got money
2: at all. <laughs> that we got money at all, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's cause for enthusiasm. I'm interested to see what conversations, if any, come out of this
1: yeah well besides like it's been two and a half fucking years and i haven't got my book you know besides those kind of conversations
0: (laughs) actually alex we've put a lot of work into uh our timeline and i'm fairly confident that we can deliver it i believe the timeline we have on the site is six months for the finished book which would be february which i think is entirely doable Basically, we just have to do some rewrites on the games. Um, Jonathan needs to do the layout, and we need to send it to the printer, and then ship it out.
1: Mm. Okay. Oh, no, I know you're fine. It's just I, I, I find that humorous, you know.
0: Yeah. This will not be another They Became Flesh situation. I'm committed to that. You know I think that we learned a lot from that Kickstarter. What do you Like on what solid bit of instruction on what not to do.
2: It is hot. <laughs> Thanks anyway.
0: Yeah, I think we learned a lot from that Kickstarter. We got a solid bit of information about what not to do. I think one of the takeaways there from the They Became Flesh debacle was communicate with your backers and be fucking honest. If I had received a message from Shiraeus saying, hey, yeah, I can't find your books anywhere... I would have said, man, then just, you know, maybe give me my 25 bucks back, you know? Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: It wouldn't have been a big deal. And I think if he had been more upfront about what was going on, instead of dodging all of those emails and making very uh, infrequent project updates and everything else, I think if he would have said, hey, we have some problems, some of the books have apparently been misplaced. I know this sounds bad, but I really want to make this right. I'm working on this. I'm you know, doing whatever I can yada yada yada. I think there would have still been some blowback, but there wouldn't have been the 30 page thread on RPG net level of blowback. Right. And also there was a failure there in communication between Elizabeth and Shiraeus. She was responding to, backers would email her and she would basically say, well, you know, I put delivery of the product in Shiraeus' hand. She basically says, I contracted out delivery of this product to Shiraeus Sampat. You're going to have to talk to him, which is ridiculous. Of course, you can't, you can't play the same games that a big publisher can play or any big business can play when everyone knows you're a husband and wife team and everyone knows that all you have to do in order to get in contact with Shreya Sampa is like, you know, walk from the bedroom to the living room or whatever. So, and I think that hurt her a lot. That she didn't just say we fucked up as opposed to saying he fucked up right. when he's your husband, you know, when he's, it, that wouldn't be like me, like if there was some kind of problem with, if we ha, if we hit some kind of hurdle saying, well, I don't know, Rudy handled that. It's like, <laughs> you in communication.
2: Right, yeah. Uh, know, I, you know, I understand what you're saying there.
0: It does more to under, well, it may seem like a way to defer responsibility it, it does more to undermine people's confidence in what you're doing than anything else. So I think mm. one the one thing that I really want to do with this Kickstarter is make sure I get if someone comes to me with a concern, if someone posts a comment, whatever, if someone talks to me, make sure I talk back as quickly as possible and in as transparent right. a way as possible. Right.
1: You you yes. shuck and jive for them Not the other way around
2: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's what we have
1: to do I, I just noticed that happens quite a bit With artists For some reason they feel entitled Quite a, a few times If you want to call somebody an artist That you know Uses words and Such Right Right
0: Oh. Yeah, I think Well and yeah, you, you make a good point, Alex, you really have to look at your backers as customers. What you're doing is you're providing right. something for them. They've been kind enough to invest in your project sight unseen, you know, to give you money sight unseen. Right. And you owe them a lot. And the least you can do is be very direct in the way you communicate with them and not be entitled in the way that you communicate with them. Or not, you know, have a sense of entitlement. As if somehow you earned that money that they gave you just by virtue of living and breathing and putting up a Kickstarter page.
1: Mm -hmm. Just being awesome isn't enough, you know. Sometimes. Sometimes.
0: But with you, Alex, it's always enough. <laughs> you don't do anything but be awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember when I when I shocked you uh, via that uh, Facebook message. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was yeah. funny. Good times.
0: Alex Wingle, professional awesome dude.
1: Hmm. Yep. You're broke. I'm just saying, I I am in the front line. Awesome. Yep. No, I, I'm still laughing at that when you when 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 you heard me say I talked to a homeless guy for an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, I was shocked that you like have the capacity for empathy. Uh, I all this time thinking that you were basically a dick, it turns out that you're actually like a human being who's capable of compassion and like having feelings for other human beings, like positive pro-social feelings towards other human beings was a real revelation to me.
1: Oh, no, uh, don't don't get me wrong. I am a dick, but when it comes to like my social retardation in terms of uh, being able to communicate with people after that, I'm a true Brosman, you know. I'm a Brosman's bro. Brosman's bro. Yep, I'm a Brosman's <laughs> bro.
0: Right.
1: Hug it out and everything.
0: Sounds like a microbrewery brewery to me. Mm-hmm. Brosman's Bros brew.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, hey! We, I have to edit this out then, because that's going to be my my new business. <laughs> <laughs>
0: don't want anyone to hear that before you register the trademark.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're an anomaly. And a mystery.
0: So. What are we at, Alex? We must be closing in on an hour, right?
1: Yeah, you were, we're probably also going to be, like, cutting, like, 5 to 10 minutes, so, yeah. We'll be at the 50-minute mark.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, Alex, do you have any final questions for us?
1: Uh, When are we going to stop talking about this?
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you're always bothering us like bros. when are we gonna podcast again? Then we sit down for a podcast, start recording, and you act like it's
1: the most excruciatingly painful experience of your month. Um, right 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 now it is, because all it is is you're just talking about <laughs> shit that's been like three years in the workings and you're just you're, you're, yeah Alex you you even said in the beginning and I'll keep that in the podcast where you said uh, yeah we'll just have Alex ask us questions you know do all the work
0: <laughs> <laughs> I may have said that
2: right Yeah. That's true.
0: I was hoping that you would do most or all of the work <laughs> Rudy, do you have any final thoughts, final discussion topics on the games, on misery tourism? No, not particularly. We have such enthusiasm, <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't we? Well, well, maybe it's one of those. It's one of those things where you've uh, you've spent so much time in the shit, you know, known as misery tourism, that uh, the, even the thought of it getting out to other people is like, that's cool, I guess.
0: You know, there is some of that, to be honest. There's some... On one hand, this is what we've been building up towards for a very long time. we put a lot of work into getting to this point, and it's cool that we're here. But it's also a relief that we're here, because it's like, oh, good, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. You know, if we don't get funded, okay, it's over. And if we do get funded, then at least it's a whole new... The project evolves enough that it feels like something new, you know? Right. It's like we'll finally be over this hurdle that we've been – we'll finally finish climbing over this wall that we've been struggling with for a year and a half. and That'll be cool. It'll be a relief.
1: Yeah, and then if you get published, you can be recognized, and then you can become the next Luke Crane in terms of blowhardy douchebag.
0: (laughs) Alex Swingle, who can't make it, who can't record a podcast without insulting Luke Crane at least
2: once.
1: <laughs> uh, well, it's either that or Ryan Macklin, you know. Yeah, or Sam Pats, or McDonald. Yeah,
0: we. Can you believe that none of those people have backed us yet? <laughs>
1: I, I, would, I would think Vincent Baker would I mean or Fred Hicks I mean come on right <laughs> it's totally up their alley
0: I guess we'll find out in that regard
1: or, or the Grand Wizard Ron Edwards
0: the Grand Wizard <laughs> yeah well you know Ron is launching a Kickstarter sometime very soon too well he'll have the money then there you go Well no because it'll be it will be running parallel to RS concurrently with RS. So that may be I don't know, maybe all those people are saving their monthly $35 gaming allowance to spend on Ron Edwards.
1: See that that's why you need to have a five dollar allowance. And then in terms of like what you need from you guys.
0: Yeah
1: we too I mean Yeah see that that, that's why all you have to do is just say like for five dollars if we ever decide to leave our mother's basements and and go to a convention we will hug and kiss you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah I
0: mean the funding periods things are really a function of necessity. Those prices are based on what it's going to cost us to produce the book, right. and that's where they come from. the The physical book is going to cost a lot more per unit than if we produced a very standard book. If we produced some print-on-demand thing, you know, with a standard cut size, eight and a half by eleven, or whatever, we could maybe even pay as little as half as much per book if we did it that way. But we really wanted the book to be unique, and we really wanted the book to be focused around the experience of playing these games. We really wanted a book that would complement play. And we didn't think that any standard thing, something that's like, you know, your smaller, like, paperback novel cut size or your usual big game manual cut size. None of those things seemed right. And we spent and a lot of the months that we spent agonizing over this process, this this project, we're spent agonizing over that. And finally we sat down and talked to Jonathan and he and he was showing us some different books and he held up this big like children's book style thing that he had. And we were like, Holy shit, that's perfect. That's how we settled on the big eleven by eleven square. And the spiral binding, or it's actually going to be wire wire. It's actually going to be wire O bounding, not wire O bounding. I'll get this right eventually. It will actually be wire O binding, not spiral binding, which is a little sturdier than spiral, a little less likely to, you know, tear away or whatever. But anyway, that's so the book can be open and lay flat. Which, is, which will be cool if we're actually playing on the book or if you're placing the book in the middle of the table where everyone can see, so everyone can see the charts or whatever. It's perfect for that. Mm-hmm. So see, Swingle, you got us onto a topic we hadn't talked about yet. <laughs> you're apathetic, frustrated, like, Let's shut this down already. Statements are actually giving us more to talk
1: about. Well, yeah, I know that that was the goal. I was, I was, uh, I was just joking with you. Anyways, so I have, to, I have an important question to ask you guys. Okay. If this Kickstarter succeeds, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Well, when it succeeds, there we go. Positive <laughs> reinforcement. Right. But when it succeeds, who will you dance a jig on and say like, you know, I told you so, haha, fuck you. <laughs>
0: Uh, no one really, because no one, I can't think of anyone who, I can't think of anyone who I, whose opinion I cared about who said, fuck you guys, this is a bad idea. There were, you know, you get, there were some, you know, some people have posted things on message words and stuff that were kind of discouraging, but there was never anyone whose opinion I had a lot of stock in anyway. And sometimes it was pretty amusing. We went back and forth with the guys at that RPG site, or the RPG site, excuse me, about misery tourism and stuff like that for a while. But we really knew what they were going to say going in. You know, they had been very vocal about their contempt for story games, and specifically for what they called misery tourism games, so. Right. And so that was actually a lot of fun going back and forth with them, and I think they kind of were having fun with it as well. I can't really think of anyone who I hold in contempt
1: who also held our games in contempt. You know, I contempt. Anyone. You, you don't. You don't have a single enemy you would like to say "haha" to. Oh, Rudy.
2: Um. I, I don't really have anybody that I'd like to dance a jig on in Victory, either. Although I might just dance a jig on somebody at random, just because I like dancing jigs. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's,
0: there are people who make RPGs, there are people in the indie game design community whose attitude towards game design I don't have much respect for. I don't hold in particularly high esteem. And I've talked about that on the podcast in the past. I don't really want... I mean, but I don't really see this project as having anything to do with, like, my philosophical differences or even my personal differences with other people who make games. You know, I think, if anything, it's really... It will be... Make me feel better about the fact that they're able to make their games if we are also able to make our games. Right. Yeah, that's kinda of the way I feel too. I think that if they were able to get their games funded and we were not, then I would have more reason to be like, you know, fuck you guys and fuck the industry and well they and well I guess fuck not being in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and to more reason to harp on some of the things that I've harped on in past podcasts when I was feeling frustrated. But if this succeeds, I think I'll be in a position to be a lot more
1: <laughs> compassionate,
0: <laughs> to, to be a lot more open minded about their projects. Not that I'm going to sit down and play a game of Monster Hearts as soon as this thing gets funded. That's
1: all I wanted to hear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That and the sound of the guy revving his motor up right outside my window. Right. Okay. So, a positive, life-affirming note. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we can call it a day. Call it a podcast. Yeah. Um, once again, Dan Maroose chat, we love you, man. I hope you're doing okay. Sometimes your posts worry us. Poor <clears throat> yeah.
1: Dan. Mr. Dan.
0: All right, I don't know. Rudy, do you have anything to say to carry us out here, to sing us out?
2: Oh. I like chicken. And rice? Yep.
0: Okay, sure. Whatever. You're not going to tell Callan S to have your babies?
2: Nah, I've, I've pretty much given up on him.
0: Wow. You're over him? Yeah. You're over him and you're over Dan? Pretty much. Who's your new um, boy toy? Christy I don't know. Boy toy. Ooh, you're going to leave this on a cliffhanger then. Yeah. Tune in to Mom's Basement Podcast episode 64 to find out which indie game designer Rudy will develop a crush on next. <laughs> That episode should be available sometime in early 2014.
1: Yeah, I, I really am not surprised. <laughs> um, good times. Good. Episode 64 is going to be the Nintendo 64 edition. We're going to talk oh, about RPGs about the Nintendo 64.
0: Man, I would I would record that podcast now. I have not. I think I've been pretty vocal about my love of the Nintendo 64 in the past. Yeah. Best game console ever. Ever. Hands down. No competition. Okay, we can probably go now.
1: Right. We could.
0: <laughs> Bye.
1: Bye. Until
0: next time. You know, there was this my mom would listen to Christian radio all the time, and one guy would end his uh, <laughs> would end all of his programs by basically saying, "You know, unless the Rapture happens first, I'll you'll hear from me again in a week." <laughs> <laughs> so, unless the, the Rapture happens first, you'll hear from us again in several months. It's actually quite likely that the Rapture will happen before. We record another episode of Mom's Basement podcast.
2: <laughs> that's true.
0: It's statistically probable. Okay. Alright. Microphone coming out. Uh-huh. Okay, that's over.
2: Now I have to respond to this Steve Ellis dude.